Hello, data enthusiasts. This is Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Welcome to Data Hurls. We are your gateway into the intricate world of data, where AI, machine learning, big data, and social justice intersect. So expect thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and insights from experts all across the industries as we explore the unexpected ways data impacts our lives. So get ready to be informed, inspired, and excited about the future of data. So let's conquer these data hurdles together. All right, welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and... I'm Michael Burke. How you doing, Chris? I'm good. How about you, man? I'm doing well. It has been an exciting weekend. We got the whole week off, which was amazing. Uh, thank you, Reltio. Um, so <laughs> enjoying my days off. Uh, we have a special guest with us to get today, Lauren. Uh, Lauren, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Sure. Thanks, guys. My name's Lauren Maffeo. I am a service designer in my day job at a company called Steampunk, which is a human-centered design firm building technical solutions for the U.S. federal government. I specialize in designing data-specific systems and products and services. Uh, so I most recently worked with an assistant chief data officer at a federal agency helping define their service model. And I just wrote a new book called Designing Data Governance from the Ground up, which is a hundred page six step guide to getting your first data governance program off the ground. And that book is available now with the Pragmatic Programmers, which is a smaller tech publisher based in Raleigh. That's excellent. Really cool. And so you said you are, I, I, let me just double back up here. Steampunk, is that right? Uh, tell me a little bit That's more about right. that. I'm interested in it. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, so Steampunk. Steampunk is a government contracting firm, and as somebody who lives in Washington, D.C., the most boring answer I could give to the what do you do question <laughs> is I'm a government contractor, which is what I think maybe a fourth of this city does and is able to say. But as you can imagine, uh, what sets us apart is is two things. The main thing is our human-centered design approach. So we are very intentional about using design thinking and user research as the crux of everything that we build because we want to make sure that that sets us apart because and that we are designing with real users for real users uh, so that the solutions we provide are more human-centered and ultimately solve our clients' core problems. The other thing that sets us apart is is the branding and the name. People are very surprised when they find out that Steampunk is a government contracting firm. They're surprised yeah. when they see the hot pink in our logo because that's quite <laughs> different than the approach that most other contractors take. And that's very intentional. It is by design because if you look at the names and branding for almost any other government contracting firm, you're going to find hues of blue and green. Uh, it's going to be someone's surname and solutions as the name. Uh, that's not too different from what steampunk used to be before it got a big refresh. And so that branding and that approach really is what sets us apart when it comes to quote unquote disrupting tech in the federal government, which I would argue is long overdue. Mm -hmm. uh, I absolutely love that. I mean, I've worked with uh, government contracts several times in my career. It's always when we get one, everybody kind of like is happy because they're normally huge, but rolls their eyes because it's going to take us 10 years to execute. Um, so exactly. seeing something yeah. new and exciting like that is really cool. Um, tell us a little bit more about your book. You know, I'd love to hear, you know, what are these, uh, you know, key steps? And really, as a reader, you know, I, I recommend everybody go and pick up the book. But if as everybody, you know, walks through it, what are the key takeaways 
Uh, and why are they really so crucial to today's digital landscape? Those are great questions. I wanted to write this book because I was working with clients that exist in large part to produce and disseminate data to consumers, to the public. And when, what, I've re, what I realized what, when I was working with this particular client was what I had heard in my prior career as an analyst at Gartner. So I joined Steampunk after several years as a principal analyst at Gartner, and Got I it. worked in their small and mid-sized business unit, focusing on trends in cloud business intelligence software, including AI techniques like machine learning and natural language processing. And Gartner constantly put out research which showed that data maturity amongst organizations of all sizes was very low during the four years that I worked there. And so the crux of their messaging was that the volume of data being produced and ingested was increasing while the maturity of these organizations to manage data was not moving really at all. And then when I became the member of a technical team at Steampunk and saw for myself the state of data maturity at the organizations we work with it was it was very low and when i say low i mean little to no automation throughout their processes uh, these these data dissemination processes took five to seven days to complete. They would pass through several hands, and when I say pass through several hands, it would be manual. Uh, wow. So there was no you know auto, pipeline automation or anything like that. Um, there were the standards for data and the definitions for data were completely inconsistent. So not only was there no data dictionary, there was you know that a date, for instance, could be formatted differently depending on the department. So there was no uniformity in definitions, which opens you up to having incorrect data in further down the line. And so seeing this really made me think, what are those key steps that an organization should be taking to approach data governance? And so the some of the big steps that I talk about in the chapters of this book are thinking very high level about how to connect your data governance efforts back to your business strategy. And that sounds like an incredibly basic thing that most organizations don't do. And so that is really the first step is even beginning to understand why your organization exists to begin with and then think about how you're using data to fulfill that challenge. And then it, re it also goes into selecting the right data stewards across teams to make decisions about the data in their domains uh, yep. after you have defined what those key data domains are. And then you wanna create a forum where these uh, uh, data stewards meet regularly to discuss uh, key areas of data management and governance at the organization. There are other steps that get more granular, and the final two chapters of the book do discuss how data governance looks in production and development environments, because the main thing that I also want to get across in this book is that your governance should never be separate from your technical environment. If it is, something has gone sideways, because the goal is always that you should have these data governance values and a strategy to, to manage your data that drives what you do in development and production. I, I don't see enough of a connection between those two things in many organizations today, and I think they suffer for it. I, I couldn't agree more. I think so many organizations think of 
<coughs> excuse me, governance in general as a check-the-box kind of process, right? When really those companies that thrive, it's more of a cultural transformation, right? Where everybody's thinking, breathing governance, and and they're doing it because of the value they've taken out of it, right? They've seen and they've probably gone through that pain. Um, in the companies that you've worked for previously, what differentiates a a customer that has really good data governance from one that is struggling? That's, that's a great question. I think there, in companies that do data governance well, they invest in the education and training aspect of it. Um, so the first chapter of my book talks about a framework that Gartner has. It's a seven-step framework that you could use to measure data governance success. And I intentionally chose a framework that already exists that can be applied across organizations to show that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are tools out there to help you conceive of the data in your own organization. You do not have to come up with that framework on your own. And one of the key aspects of that seven-step framework is education and training. And, and so I think a great model for how to train your staff on how to be data-driven is modeled in large part by what we see in cybersecurity. We know definitively from research that the most yep. likely cause of a breach in an organization is a employee and they're not trying to be malicious. They expose data inadvertently. So organizations know that they have a responsibility to ensure that they're it, all staff know what phishing look, attempts look like, what suspicious emails look like. They know to educate them not to answer texts that are impersonating a, a fellow colleagues of theirs. And all of these examples might sound extreme. They have all happened to me personally on the job. I, I've, I've noticed during COVID these last three years, the number of phishing attempts has risen exponentially, I think because many of us are more distributed and working remotely. And so companies and CIOs know that they have to invest in giving their colleagues the tools to understand what good cybersecurity looks like. And they they give them those resources in micro doses, whether it's quizzes, whether it's uh, whether it's li little videos, like 16 to 90 second videos explaining different aspects of cybersecurity. So they're they're doing that. And there's no reason why CDOs shouldn't be doing the same thing. You do not have to boil the ocean when it comes to teaching every single employee everything there is about big data. It's figuring out the most essential information that your employees need and yeah. then giving them that information in micro doses so that it's not overwhelming. So oh, yeah, definitely. I love, I love that, Lauren, because, you know, although it's taken a lot of time in the cybersecurity world for the organizations to, I mean, HR makes you take these tests and, you know, they're doing all these things for cybersecurity. And I love that you're bringing that up because, you know, we, from a data standpoint, we need to start doing the education and training. And you gave some real life examples. And that, to me, is going to be the key at the end of the day is to how do you embed that into the organization? And unfortunately, you know, nobody likes to take all these tests, but it's in, in, it's it's ingrained in the head in your heads, right? On you know what what does a phishing attack look like? What is what do I, am I not going to do? You know, and and then how do we do that within the data? Love it. And that's the hard part of data governance for me is is 
I'm constantly thinking, how do you make this real and tangible mm-hmm. to people? Uh, because it, it is a very, I almost a squishy concept. It's it's viewed as like legal compliance, and it's mm-hmm. often viewed as a very a barrier to innovation. Because in many cases, it probably has been that in the past. Uh, And so people have a negative view of data governance to the degree that I even talked with my editor about what we should name the book, because what I am talking about is data governance, but it doesn't have a great connotation in the industry to date. And so talking about a topic that people are not warm to can be a real challenge. I do think, though, that humans are inherently reactive, as proactive as we might like to be or try to be. We typically solve our biggest problems after there's been a disaster. And so if we look at why the cybersecurity field is growing and there's more innovation in how to educate people on cybersecurity, the question then becomes what's driving that? And it's a series of very disastrous cyber attacks on various businesses, on grids, on all of this stuff that really brings people's lives to a halt. And so that is really driving the innovation because people just cannot ignore it anymore. And I do see something similar happening with data. I think, unfortunately, it is going to take something really big, something somewhat disastrous to get a wider group of people on board. But in the meantime, those who are willing to be proactive about about managing their data and governing their data, they're not going to suffer as much when the inevitable occurs. It it is so tricky too, right? Because you've got this, all of these different variables in play. You've got the desire to innovate, right? You've got the need to control and protect sensitive information. Um, You've got data stewards who are just trying to have oversight, you know, and, and engineers of what's happening within these systems and create stability, right, and unification. Um, in a large organization like some of these big government branches that I'm sure you're working with, how do you maintain that balance, right? I think that for smaller companies, it's so much easier, right? Because you know everybody, you've got a good mm-hmm. handle on the team. But when you're talking thousands or tens of thousands of employees, all of a sudden, you know, being able to see observability across that governance becomes increasingly complex and getting the right people access to data to innovate and move quickly starts to become such a challenge. That's a great point. And I always bring that up when people say, I'm part of a startup, I'm part of a small team. Is it even possible for me to do data governance the way you're suggesting? And I say, you actually have a lot of benefits compared to larger organizations because you might not have the staff numbers or the amount of data that a large company does. And in many ways, that's actually a benefit to you because the one of the biggest barriers to adopting data governance is not starting with it from scratch. It's looking at all of the data that you have, thinking about how it's been managed in the past, who owns it, if anybody does, where, which servers it's stored on, and thinking about not only do you have to establish these, let's say, six steps to data governance from scratch, then the, the next step is I have to go back and retroactively apply all of that to the the probably endless data that is in my domain, in my organization, and retroactively applying those governance standards to the mountain of data that you have. 
that's an incredibly difficult time intensive challenge it it it's all the more reason why data governance cannot be the sole responsibility of one person one cdo one team it really does take a collective effort because the volume in a large organization is so high and in terms of how you tackle that challenge i think it's really important to start small that's why it's so important to know how you want to use data in the context of your organization and how your data usage impacts yeah. your strategy because if you don't know the answer to that question you don't know what to prioritize and you don't know which pilots to green light you don't know which tools to approve you don't know which ai technique to use because again if you if you are not going to use natural language processing versus robotic process automation depend uh, for the same use case uh, the type of training technique you use depends on the business problem you have and so i think to start to tackle this it's always best to d have a concentrated project that is very strategic that has buy-in from senior leadership and that part is also really crucial because even if you are a c-suite data leader we all know that if you don't have the buy-in from your C-suite peers, you're only going to get so far. And so yeah. that is all the more reason for your case study to really connect back very clearly to the business problem you're solving. And again, this is not something that historically people in data roles have always done a great job at. Um, or the flip side of that is that there are data scientists who are very business savvy, who ask about the use cases and how their work affects the business. And sometimes those data scientists don't get a seat at the table and they're viewed as practitioners and executors of a strategy they have no say in and that's also something that i think has to stop well it's it's so interesting you say that because you know i know personally leading data science teams in the past we've always struggled with this balance right we need as much data as we can to answer a problem with high accuracy uh, to meet our targets yep. but at the same time giving access to all of that data poses a lot of risks to one person or one team so I think there's a lot of strategies emerging here and coming and certainly will continue to evolve in the future. Where do you see data governance headed in the next three to five years? I have harped a lot of, on, in this conversation about tying your data governance and your data strategy back to the business. And the reason I'm doing that is because we are seeing in the industry this move towards value-based pricing. Uh, I just read a Wall Street Journal article earlier this week about how some cloud vendors are, there are clients who are coming to these cloud vendors saying, I want to pay you based on use case success. And that sounds extreme, uh, but that is the direction we're going in. We are in a pseudo recession if we are. I mean, honestly, at this point, who knows if we are technically in a recession or not, but the tech industry is certainly behaving as if we are in a recession, which means that spending is really getting cut back. Tools are not getting greenlit the way they were before. There is more pressure than ever for people to prove that what they are working on Im improves the business itself. And that is manifesting in not just buying a suite of products or even a whole product, but just paying vendors based on the value they provide you. And I do think that over if we talk in five years, I, I am confident that we will be talking about data 
in a more real tangible way than we are today because i think we're still as a industry connecting those dots between the big data usage and governance in that context back to the business but in five years we will not have that luxury of of these semantic debates about what data governance is and uh and what data quality is because businesses will have had to figure it out by then well, and the, to act on it in a way that's strategic. Yeah, and the interesting thing is too, right, we're, you're talking about value-based uh, projects, which I love, because on the flip side, we're seeing the cost of having bad governance skyrocket, right? Regulatory, GDPR, you know, if you've been following things on large language models, even publishing things sometimes to the open source can have ramifications, right? This isn't even data, this is code. Um, so, you know, it is just so interesting to see as costs continue to climb and the penalties continue to climb, how much more important value-based projects is going to drive. You know, one of the things that I always kind of kick back to though, and I'm thinking back to my engineering, you know, individual contributor days was when there's too much governance, everybody just takes the path of least resistance. They start short-circuiting it, even if they know the culture, because the pressure in the mindset is you're rewarded based off of the value you create as an individual employee. And nobody says when you missed your deadline, but great job on the governance, right? How does an organization maintain that speed? And this is something that I just, you know, I don't have a good answer for it. You know, Chris, maybe you do or Lauren, but I just find this like increasingly difficult. I think that there's going to be some uh, maybe improvements with AI or artificial intelligence. Uh, there's some new technologies I've seen coming out, certainly around observability and ways to better monitor, but would love your thoughts on this. I do see monitoring and data lineage as increasingly crucial aspects of data governance in the in the near future. They already are crucial in my opinion, but I think they will move from the nice to have category or perceived as nice to have into truly essential category for the reasons you just described. The legislation, while incredibly slow relative to innovation, is not going anywhere. It's one yeah. of the very few bipartisan issues in Washington. So I think that will increase and businesses will have more onus to uh, show how they use data to make decisions, which means that they'll have to incorporate those types of tools into their tech stacks. But in terms of where, you know, where we go next and, and what people do, I think a, something I've realized is that a really good answer, if you are struggling with a business problem and specifically with behavior in an organization, you can always ask yourself the question, how are you rewarding people? Because for instance, I have many friends who are lawyers and they work in big law firms and they are in financially incentivized to work and bill very high number of hours, uh, high numbers of hours per week, per month, per year, because the number of billable hours affects how much they get in a bonus at the end of the year, which is, to put it nicely, a not insignificant amount. So it really goes back to how are you rewarding people? How are you recognizing their accomplishments? And I do make the case in the book that the people that in that 
sign up to be data stewards to to manage the data and shepherd the data in their domains in addition to their day job or rather as part of their day job those people should be tangibly rewarded for that and the, and the reward is going to look different depending on your resources so if you don't have extra budget lying around i'm guessing many listeners don't feel like they do you can still find ways to look at your overall department budget and maybe give the leader the, that data steward leading the domain a spot bonus uh, at the end of a quarter a bigger bonus at the end of the year you can re- work with hr or their manager to write their data stewardship descriptions into their own job descriptions and position them for a promotion and a better a bigger, better role in the organization. Uh, the bigger point is that I do think data stewards have to be rewarded for their their in, their investment, their efforts. They're doing the lion's share of the work. They're doing the lion's share of the work at a time when there's a lot of resistance to it. And I do think they deserve to be rewarded for it in some tangible way. I love it. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the incentive structure needs to change. There has to be some way to either reward the unknowns, like if nothing happens, that should be a success, right? If there isn't a breach, if there isn't an exposure, how do you change that mindset to saying not that this is just a check the box, but this is something that we really celebrate? Um, you know, manufacturing companies do this great with like um, workplace injuries, right? It's something that's highly regulated, highly audited, uh, and they celebrate it every year. Same thing we could do with data governance. Um, Detzel, if you have yeah, any I other questions. Agree. No other questions for me, and, and uh, you know, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on to another or data hurdles. We really do appreciate your time, and um, Michael, thanks for leading the conversation. Thanks everyone for coming to or listening to Data Hurdles. Uh, please rate and review us. I'm Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you.